Have you guys uh, getting Bibles open in front of you? While I ramble, as you can see there. 1 John chapter 4, beginning verse 7. James is handing them out like programs, which is wonderful. I was glad to hear about um, Bridget being so well equipped after all those years. I was a little bit let down to find out they were only just all going there to hear about Haggai. Well, I've got to say something to bide the time while he hands them out. <laughs> Wonderful. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 John chapter 4, beginning verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is the word of the Lord. Someone's phone's there. Who's that? They can stay there. Evening, everyone. My name's Gav. I get to pastor the Gleswood Hills congregation, which is my great joy and privilege. What's in the box? You're all wondering, aren't you? We'll find out soon enough. But I'm going to pray for us first. Loving Father, Almighty God, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your word in all its truth. And we ask that you clear our minds of distractions and soften our hearts to receive your word with thanksgiving. Lord, we pray for our consciences tonight that you will comfort them and that you will give us great assurance and peace of your love and your goodness and your sovereign power over the world and us and our church. In Jesus' name, amen. 
This evening we're thinking about the doctrine of Christian assurance. Do you know for sure that God loves you? How can you know for sure that God loves you? After all, we are so very small in comparison to the God of the universe. We're kind of like a little speck on this grubby planet full of its evil and sin and war. We're like a tiny little speck on a grubby tennis ball, really, compared to this majestic God of the universe. Now, I've actually got a whole bunch of grubby tennis balls here, and I want you to try to catch them and not throw them back just yet. You know, I haven't all got one. I reckon Lyndall Groves can catch a tennis ball. Oh, hit the wire. That's not fair. Keep watching. They're coming fast. Lucky. Oh, that's over here. Well done, James. Here we go. Any more? Anyone else want one? Tim. Oh, off the heater. What was that? All right, that's enough. All right, now. Um, was that on when I hit it? Yeah. Whoops. No. So I want you to hold up, hold your tennis ball. If you haven't got one, that's okay. You get the idea. You don't have to hold it up. Just hold it. Um, try to find a speck of dirt on the tennis ball, and that speck of dirt, that's basically you. Well, that's not even you, really. That's like the MacArthur region. We're even smaller. We're like the speck of dirt on the speck. That's us. We are so small in comparison to God. And, and the ratio between us and this planet in our hand is, is so much smaller than God and the universe. Why on earth would God love us? on this grubby little planet? How can we be sure that he does? And tonight I want to tell you that he does love us indeed. And there's two places in this passage where his love for us can be clearly seen and five reasons given in this passage why we can have full assurance that God does indeed love us. So we need to hook in, but before we do, I want you to throw the tennis balls back nicely. And I'm going to try and catch them. Outlining handouts, if you want to follow along, if you want to take notes, uh, you can do so. The one big reason given up front for why God loves us is because God is love. First point. Thanks, Owen. All right, well done. Uh, the one big reason given is that God is love. Look at verse 7 on the screen in your Bibles. I'm not sure I've got an NIV 11 translation on the screen, and I apologize if I don't, if it's slightly different, but it's NIV something. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. When we consider our world with its oceans and tsunamis of suffering and pain and evil, broken promises, broken relationships, 
Sadly, the MacArthur is the capital of domestic violence in New South Wales. There's currently 39 countries in the world with wars raging, with less than 10,000 casualties, and three wars raging in the world right now with more than 10,000 human casualties. There's a war in Myanmar that's been raging since 1948. 5,500 casualties last year, over 200,000 in total. And of course, there's a war in Ukraine. And we don't know how many people have died, but it's well over 100,000 people. How can there be a God who really loves when there's so much evil in the world, so much sin reigning in the world? Yet John insists that he does. And in fact, love is the very nature of God. The horrors of our world do not escape his gaze nor his concern and we find peace in the knowing that his loving sovereign hand remains even when sin seems to rule. God rules over all things with his loving hand. And we ought to be amazed and confident at the realisation that such an infinite yet personal creator is not too great to be bothered with our tiny lives. God is not so great that he can't be bothered with us individually. You may feel like a speck on a grubby tennis ball in comparison to the majestic God of the universe, but you were all fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's wombs by a loving God, each hair placed on your head meticulously, by him, God loves you because he is love. That is his nature. We didn't do anything to earn his love. We certainly don't deserve his love. But the fact remains that God loves us because that is his nature, his essence, his very being, and he cannot deny his nature. God loves, he always has for all eternity. The Father has loved the Son and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. The Son loved the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loved the Father and the Son for all eternity. God is love. And that same divine, cosmic, eternal, all-powerful God loves you. And we know this because We've seen it, and we still see it, God's love. God's love is clearly on display in two places revealed to us in this passage. The first one won't surprise you, but the second one might surprise you a little bit. Look at verse 9 with me in your Bibles to see the first place where God's love is on display. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us, the disciples, the, the first apostles, the apostles, first disciples, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I wonder if you know the story of the merciful king. Once upon a time in a kingdom far, far away, there lived a great and merciful king. He was simultaneously the most powerful man in the kingdom as well as the kindest and gentlest man in the whole realm. The kingdom was known for its peace and its harmony and its goodwill. Neighbours cherished one another and years passed by without a single crime in the entire kingdom. One day, however, the chief servant of the merciful king came into the throne room with ill tidings. 
There's a thief in the realm of your kingdom, sire, said the servant. The king was astonished. A thief? Find the thief, and when you do, bring him to me, and he will be given ten lashes. Those in the room were astonished. It had been so long since a crime had been committed, they could hardly imagine who could have done such a thing. A week went by, and the servant again came into the throne room with ill tidings. Sire, he said... The thief has not been found and continues to rob from your people. In anger, the king raised his voice and said, Find the thief, and when you do, he'll receive 25 lashes. The people began to murmur among themselves. Who could withstand such a punishment? Who could possibly be committing such a crime? Time went on, and the servant again came with ill tidings into the throne room. Your majesty, the thief has still not been found. We've searched in vain for him Your people are still being robbed, and the king was enraged. Find the wretched thief, and when you do, his punishment will be 50 lashes. The people were filled with dread. They weren't sure that even the king could withstand such a punishment. And if he couldn't, then certainly no one else could. Who could be doing such a thing, they wondered. Soon afterward, the servant again approached the king in his throne room. His face was pale, his voice timid and low. Your Highness, the thief has been found. Excellent. Bring the thief to me. The punishment must be administered. The thief was brought in. As the crowd parted, as the thief was brought in, everyone turned and it was revealed the thief was the king's mother. To the utter shock and dismay of all, It was his mother, and there she stood, trembling and crying, her small, frail body shaking with fear and shame. She was perhaps the last soul in the kingdom that anyone would suspect of committing such a crime. And there the king stood in front of his throne in shock and deeply wounded. The crowd began to wonder and murmur among themselves, what will the merciful king do? Will he set aside the law and display his love and mercy by forgiving his mother for her crimes? Or will he display his sovereignty and justice by giving her exactly what she deserves? Will he choose mercy or will he choose justice? The king raised his hand to quiet the crowd and said, Bring the whipping post. The whipping post was brought in. The crowd dumbfounded. Would the king truly have his mother received such a punishment which would surely kill her, surely just a few lashes would kill her. The frail woman would not even last a few strokes. The woman was tied to the post, her garment rent, exposing her back. Her ribs could be seen through her frail flesh. Administer the lashes, said the king, and not a sound could be heard as the whip was raised. But just as the whipmaster was about to unleash his first stroke, the king cried, Halt! The crowd sighed in utter relief, but the feeling did not last for long. The king arose from his royal throne and walked down the aisle and removing his shirt, covered over his mother's body and said, Continue with the punishment. In love, he protected his mother out of justice 
the punishment was administered to him in her place. It's the same story for us and our Lord Jesus. In love, he covers us over and receives the punishment that we deserve. But there's a difference. The difference is that Jesus' love covers over even his enemies, even those who despised him, rejected him, sinned against him, ignored him, nailed him to a cross. It's even these that Jesus' love covers over and protects. The story of the merciful king is make-believe. The story of King Jesus is true. In love, he protected us from our sin, from the punishment that we deserve. Jesus was willing to die for those who hate him and reject him. And the initiative is entirely God's initiative. He manifests his love to those who do not love him, who do not deserve his mercy, who have not earned it. He administers his love to a world of lost sinners. And let's be honest, if it were not for the fact that God is love, there would be no expectation of mercy or forgiveness for us, no hope, no future for us, except for the fact that God is love. The initiative of the work of salvation belongs entirely to the love of God. And this love of God is most clearly on display for all the world to see at the cross. But God's love continues to be on display today, even in this warehouse. Look at verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us or perfected in us. The one who suffered was the eternal, unique son of the Father. It was his blood that flowed for our forgiveness. And those who have been forgiven demonstrate this revolutionary change in themselves in love for one another. Love for their brothers and sisters. God's love supplies a reason and resource for our genuine other person-centred love of one another. As his children, we want to be like our dad in heaven. And so we love as he has loved us. And note in the passage that it's not a suggestion, it's not something that you kind of add to your repertoire as a Christian. This is a command to love one another. We must love one another. Now try to get your head around this, friends. The death of Jesus was the physical demonstration par excellence of the love of God for the world. But your love for one another is also a demonstration of God's love for the world. The God of the universe's love is on display when you guys love one another. Furthermore, as we experience love, the love of God from one another, our motivation to show love to one another grows, multiplies, love multiplies as we love 
one another. So God's love finds its completion, it's perfected, it finds its goal in us when we pass on his love to one another. And get this, as our friends and our family, our community who don't yet trust in Jesus (coughs) come into our midst, Christ's love is revealed to them as they love one another. God is on display to them in our love for one another. The church is the audio-visual presentation of God's life-giving love to a dying culture. And people, we learned from Spira last week, the church is actually exploding in many parts of the world. Since the pandemic, many people are desperately seeking the love of God. Now more than ever, we have an opportunity to show Christ's love to the lost. And if all that doesn't excite you and assure you of God's love for you, well, John goes on to reveal five tributaries all feeding the river of assurance and confidence that ought to flow through every Christian's life. So point three, how can we be so sure we have the love of God? And firstly, it is we have the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. This is how we know we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. The Holy Spirit continually points us back to the word of God, convicting us of the truths on the lips of Jesus. We know we have the spirit because we feel the need to read our Bibles. Who kind of feels like, oh, I don't read my Bible enough? Non-Christians don't feel that. <laughs> Only people with the Holy Spirit feel like they need to read the Bible at all, let alone more. So be assured that when you feel like, oh, I wish I was reading my Bible more, that's the Holy Spirit working in you, testifying to this truth that God's word is good and you need to get into it more and more. And it's the Holy Spirit that moves us to love one another. We know that we have the Holy Spirit because we want to come to church We want to be where other Christians are. We might get lazy sometimes, we might get weary sometimes, but in our heart of hearts, we want to be here because the Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts. We know the Holy Spirit's at work in our hearts because we want to pray. We want to talk to God, even though we wish, maybe we wish we talked to God more than we do. We want to. The fact that we want to at all is a testament to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We can be confident of God's love for us. We can have assurance because of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Conversely, if someone doesn't really want to be here, doesn't really want to read the Bible, doesn't really want to pray, we must question if the Holy Spirit is in that person at all. Secondly, we have the apostolic testimony as an assurance of God's love for us. Verse 14, we have seen the apostles and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. Not only do we have the Holy Spirit testifying to the person and work of Jesus, but we have the apostolic testimony. The apostles were there. They knew Jesus. They followed Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They healed people with Jesus. They were cast out demons in Jesus' name. They saw him arrested. They watched him be crucified. They watched him die. And they met with him after he rose from death. In John chapter 21 is one of my favourite parts of the Bible where they have a barbecue on the beach 
uh, with Jesus. After he has risen, he met with them and he ate with them. We have the apostolic testimony written down for us in the Bible that we can read because in our country we're really blessed to be able to have a Bible in a language that we can understand. We probably have half a dozen at home, which is a great blessing. So the apostolic testimony is written down for us, reminding us, convicting us of the irrefutable truth that Jesus is risen and he is Lord over all. Thirdly, we have personal testimony. That same testimony that was on the lips of the apostles and on the lips of Paul and Silas and Timothy and down through the ages to Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and then Wilberforce and Newton and Richard Johnson who first brought God's word to Australia, that same personal testimony is now on our lips as well as we speak to one another in church. Verse 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? The only Son of God, begotten from the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, and for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human, he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he'll come again to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. This is our testimony, isn't it? This is what we believe as Christians. And we remind of each other of these things as we gather for church and growth group. And other times when we meet, we profess this faith to one another and in doing so, grow our assurance. We build our assurance in one another. Happy for you guys to have a chat, but I just need you to take it outside. Is that all right? Happy for you to talk as much as you want, but I need you to just take it out into the foyer. Is that cool? Thanks. Fourth point. We can have assurance because we have confidence in God's love for us. Verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love of God, the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Three weeks ago, I conducted a wedding between Chris and Alicia, they're members of our congregation, at Gledswood Hills. When a man and a woman pledge themselves in marriage um, as husband and wife, they exchange vows and they make solemn promises that they can be relied upon one to the other, whatever may happen. They promise for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, you can trust me. You can rely on me. It's an expression of the love that they already have for each other. And it will deepen as they experience its reality, the reality of the love they have for one another in practice throughout the changing seasons of life. Their love and their trust grows as they exercise their love for one another and trust in one another throughout their marriage. Real love can be relied on, but only a commitment of faith will prove it. 
Real love can be relied on, but only a commitment of faith proves it. Our experience of God's love is like this. Because our love is grounded in his unchanging character of love, as we live out our daily relationship with him, as we read the Bible, as we pray, as we obey, as we love others, our relationship with him is strengthened. Our assurance and confidence in him is strengthened as we live out our faith in him. As we're constantly in touch with his divine love, we grow to trust in it, rely on him more and more if we exercise our faith in him. Marriages are strengthened over the years as trust is tested and proven to be true. Marriages break when trust is tested and doesn't stand the test and trust is broken. A couple who have been happily married for many years have such a faith in each other and mutual understanding of each other, they can tell what each other is thinking without any words being spoken. They say that the longer you've been married, <laughs> the longer you've been married, the more you become like one another, they say. Um, I've noticed, actually, that Lara's top spin forehand, my wife, has really come along in the last 20 years after being married to me. But strangely, her love for the West Tigers is really lagging. <laughs> and I think she needs probably another 20,000 years uh, for that to come along. Now, ultimately, I want to see her grow, not like me, but like Jesus, as she exercises her faith in him and lives out daily the intimacy of relationship that she enjoys with him. And the same for you all. As you live out and exercise your faith in Jesus daily by reading God's word and praying to him and loving one another, You'll become more like Christ. You'll become more like him. That's the promise. As we think his thoughts, because we know his word, we think his thoughts and we exercise his will, we become more like Christ. That is a promise from God. As we give ourselves to him, we become more like him. As we experience more of his love, we rely on him more and more. We learn to trust in him more and more. Sometimes God puts us through trials and testings for that very reason that he loves us and he wants us to trust him more and more. He allows these experiences to refine and strengthen us. So don't be dismayed if you're going through a hard time. God may be giving you this time in order to grow your trust in him and make you lean on him more. We're more inclined to forget about God when things are good, more inclined to remember him when things are bad. But sometimes he gives us trials to bring him back to him, bring us back to him. Christ is infinitely loving and available. You can have as much of him as you desire. Christ is infinitely loving, infinitely available. You can have as much of him as you desire. You can have as much time with him as you want as much love from him as you want. He's not like human beings who are finite. You can't always have time with them. And they can't always give and give and give and give some more, but Christ can. 
You can have as much of him as you desire. How much of him do you desire? In verse 17, we learn that God is always working to perfect his love in us. That is, to make us more like Jesus, as much more and more each day. As you live out your faith in God, you become more like Christ. And this is really important, this end of this little section. There's no fear in perfect love. There ought to be no fear in our relationship with God because God is perfectly loving because he is love. As many of you will know, this is hard to wrap your head around if you haven't had a very consistent model of love, particularly from your father. This can be hard to wrap your head around. For parents, young parents, a child's first experience of the love of God is from their parents. That's a challenge. Unfortunately, our experience is often that our father's love is contingent on our, contingent on our behaviour. We feel that if we have his love, if we behave well, we have his love. Or worse, if we perform well at school or uni or in sport, you see these crazed coaches and whatnot on the sidelines of tennis players and who are living out their dreams through their child. A father's love should not be contingent on their child's behaviour or performance. It should be steadfast no matter what. When it's not, when it's steadfast, it creates fear in the child. It creates insecurity. Fathers and fathers-to-be, it's exciting to say this to you guys, because many of you are not yet fathers, so you can get this right in the first instance before you've messed it up or somewhat messed it up like often I have. Be steadfast in your love for your children. No matter how old they are, whether they're newborn or 10 or 20 or 30 or 40, continue to be steadfast in your love for your children. Other person-centred service of your children should find its source in the love of God, not the performance of the child. Our source of love is the love of God for our children. Our source is not the performance or behaviour of the child. God is love. His love is perfect. It is steadfast. It is reliable. Every day, all day, unlike all of us, his love is perfect and reliable. His perfect love drives out fear in our relationship with him and our confidence in life. His love is steadfast Fifthly and finally, very quickly, our love for one another is again an assurance of God's love at work in us. Verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. When God's love begins to fill our lives, he not only gives us a model of how we should live in our human relationships, but he gives us the desire and the ability to do it, to reflect his love to others. 
Love is other person-centred service of others. It's service of others. It's not warm, fuzzy feelings. It's service of other people. Are you giving your all for your church? Many of you absolutely are. Praise God. As you do, your assurance grows. But perhaps you're not. Perhaps there's more you could be doing. And perhaps you don't even know how you could be doing it. Talk to Ben. He'd love to have a conversation about how you can serve more at church, perhaps on a ministry team, just perhaps in in your relationships with other people. Do you come to church thinking, um, how can I be fed and how can I be served? You certainly will be served at church. Or do you come to church with a mindset of how can I love others? How can I serve others? That is a godly mindset to come to church with the mindset of loving and caring for others rather than being cared for yourself. So what does this mean for us tonight? Well, ultimately, knowing God's love gives us absolute assurance in him. It's something that we can't get through Roman Catholicism because Roman Catholicism teaches that we must contribute to our salvation. But what Christ has done isn't enough. Imagine I had a jar of water. I meant to bring a jar of water. Imagine I had a jar of water and this is kind of our conscience given to us by God, our clear conscience, our full assurance, and then we're taught to drop in some food colouring of of baptism and holy communion and confession and all of a sudden our conscience becomes murky. All of a sudden we're not sure. When our assurance is totally dependent on the love of God, we can have full confidence in him. Friends, you're not just a speck on a grubby tennis ball. You're loved by God, the God of the universe, who made all things and sustains all things. He is love and he loves you. And he's shown that at the cross and he's shown that each week as we gather and love one another. And three things happen when you seek to love one another. The first is you grow more Jesus-like. You grow more like him when you seek to love one another. That's a promise from God. And secondly, you spur on the person you're loving to love one another, to love others and become more Jesus-like. You become more Jesus-like and they become more Jesus-like as well. And thirdly, you reveal the love of Christ to those in the room who've never seen it before as you love one another. So let me pray for us all that God will continue to bless us and encourage us to love one another. Please join me. Loving Father, almighty God, we thank you that you are love. In your very essence, in your very nature, in your very being, you love perfectly, consistently, all of the time. And that gives us great assurance and peace of mind and peace of heart We don't need to win your favour. We don't need to earn your favour. We can have good days. We can have bad days. We can be feeling up or we can be feeling down. That doesn't change your love for us. You love us no matter what. And we thank you for the most clear display of your love poured out at the cross. We thank you for Christ, for covering over us and receiving the punishment that we deserve. And we thank you for our church. We thank you for the love in our church, for all those 
acts of love one for the other that occur every week. And Lord, we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit and the assurance of apostolic testimony and personal testimony that we'll continue to grow in our trust in your love of us and our willingness and desire and ability to love one another. Please grow us in our love for one another, we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.